From the Duck South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. We're mass communicating. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. This is the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I give it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. And now, here's your host, Rocky LaFleur. I bet you slice into the woods a hundred bucks. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir, and I never slice. Also starring Josh Webb, Jake LaTondras, Rob Kroon, David Ellis, and Ramsey Russell. Showtime. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Showtime, everybody! Showtime! Welcome to the End of the Line podcast. I'm Rocky LaFleur in the Duck House Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. Joining me on the line today, a man that's been away a long time. Glad to be back home. Jake Latondris joining us from Raymond, Mississippi. The callmaker, Josh Reggio. Guys, how are you? Great, Rocky. Good. Great. How you doing yeah. today? See, wait, during during pre-production where y'all were doing all that talking, I was going through that long opening in my head. <laughs> Did a fantastic job. You nailed it, dude. Fantastic. You're the new. You're the Michael. You're the Michael Buffer of Waterfowl Podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Might be some that disagree with you on that. <laughs> you know, I've, I've always said for a couple of years now. That really and truly, I need to get you two together because I need that y'all would kind of uh, hit it off. A lot alike. So you talked a couple of weeks ago, right? You two? Yeah, we did. Yeah, I reached out to Jake and uh, has heard his podcast. You know, listened to his story um, that last year, April time frame. Listen to that was very, very inspired. Of course, I'd heard of him and seen all the photography and, you know, followed him uh, before the, the podcast story. But, you know, I just, uh, he's very, t- he's very inspiring to me, uh, the way he goes about his business. Um, just kind of the person he is, especially after hearing the podcast and really getting some, um, you know, insight to him as a person, not just getting to look at the pictures and the art and the, the work that he does. And so, yeah, I reached out to him, just wanted to pick his brain uh, about some things. And, you know, I, I think we had a, a great conversation. It took a little while because we both had to get kids wrangled and bathed and in bed. But, uh, yeah, we ended up talking for a couple of hours. And, yeah, it was good. Thanks a good dude. Yeah, it was a story. good conversation. Yeah, we uh, definitely – like to learn more about you know the synergy that you see rocky from the outside looking in but i could see that and you know we had definitely had some uh, common denominators that made sense and it made the conversation very easy and uh it wasn't you know there's was never a time where we weren't talking because uh, because uh, you know it was a natural very natural conversation well outside looking in a lot of similarities in the way that you go about business. Let me just say this. 
number one, both of you very, very detailed. Very detailed. Number two, you, you buy into the concept of all in. You're gonna go in business for yourself. You, brother, you better go all in. It's no 90%, 95%. It is 100%. And that, that I see that in both of y'all. The way that you speak right. on things, very, very intellectual. You learn something every time I every time I talk to one of y'all, I learn something. Oh, well, I think th these are definitely things that we yeah. talked about, you know, in our conversation, and and you know that's where uh, you're right, Rocky. That's where the synergy does come in because Josh is very cerebral and uh, detail oriented, or he wouldn't be he wouldn't be a call maker. That's for sure, and <laughs> and. You know, and he's inspired by he's inspired by the right things in life and the right things in business, and it's not just about you know the the almighty dollar or being a cool brand or whatever it is. He, you know, he's he creates art. What you know the the cause artistic. That was number art. four. It's art. Yeah. Both of you yeah, are very do. artistic in how you approach what you do every day. Yeah. Yeah. I look at, I mean, I can find inspiration in Jake's stuff, you know, um, into what I do, believe it or not. So, I mean, it's, I think, I think we both probably, you know, agree and had the, the conversation, you know, about thinking outside the box and, mm -hmm. and, that, and that does take effort, you know, but I, I think some of that falls a little bit naturally just to our personalities and that the, just the way we're wired maybe. Um, but, but I see a lot of that in in, in what we do um, in in each of our you know passions and, and you know in our art and creativity. I mean, if you look at, at Josh's calls, you know they're all they're all different, and I think that's what art is. If if he was in it just for the money, you know, or just for the branding, they would be they they get mass produced because that's what that's what mass production does you know, for, for, for that part of the industry. And so if you just take that one little note in itself, then that helps you understand, you know, how he thinks and, and, you know, how he utilizes his creativity uh, to come up with the things that he does, man. And that, that is, that is truly an art. And I'm so glad that, you know, maybe there was a time, correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, but maybe there's a time, and that kind of it dwindled, but you know, people like you and John Stevens, and and it's making you know it's making a comeback. And perhaps social media does a lot for that because you have a platform to display your work on, so everyone can see it, and that's what helps sort of drive that you know drive that that or fuel that fire. Is that is that right? Yeah, I would absolutely agree that the first part of your statement that it was somewhat of a dying art. Um, I mm -hmm. think it, when it got, I want to call mass produced modernized, but that's somewhat what it was with the invention of the CNC machines and different mm -hmm. technologies. Uh, it, it, it did change 
it, it did change things. Uh, and for a while there, I think the there was a lost appreciation for it also because of mm-hmm. technology and, and the new things that were coming out. The new hot the thing, design, or, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it was, it probably did dwindle, um, and that's why I tell people, you know, I get that comment a lot. Like, I, I want to buy one of your calls because you make it from by hand, from literally scratch, mm-hmm. from a block of wood. And so I see a culture shift, and I've seen it for the, about the past five years towards more of a, an appreciation for. I mean, not just duck calls, but I'm talking about in general, handmade mm-hmm. quality items. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a new appreciation for that, again, or a renewed appreciation for that type of craft and art and, uh, and product. Uh, the second part you know, of your, of your statement about social media being a driver, absolutely. I mean, think of a guy in the 80s or 90s or even you know, early 2000s. If he if if I did what I did in the nineties, I would have to go to as many shows as possible. I, mm-hmm. um, I'd have to travel everywhere and still make calls just to get my name out there, my product out there. Um, mm-hmm. It would probably cost me, you know, like Lee was talking about, and you know this too. You know, advertising in, in the magazines of the time, yeah, uh, whichever mm-hmm. whatever those were, and they were not cheap. So they still aren't, but they certainly weren't then. And so it was a totally different world of marketing and getting getting your name and your product out there. I was fortunate enough to come in at a time really at the start of Facebook. And so it was free. And I you can reach so many people with something and, and really not have to spend any money. Um, you know, I still do a few shows, but social media was a huge driver and is still for even new guys that are getting to it to get their name out there and their product out there um yeah i didn't get a website until about two years ago or maybe a year ago like it i just didn't i didn't have to um you know obviously i needed one at some point for different things and and so we, we got to that point but um yeah i mean the the marketing has totally totally shifted but i'll tell you jake and rocky i mean I don't know if you experienced this, Jake, when you first started, but um, it's very scary to put yourself and your product out there for the world to see. It's when you first start something, I remember making one of my first posts and I sat there and stared at it for an hour before I hit the post button because you're, you're opening yourself up completely to people you don't know that are going to be behind a keyboard and can say whatever they want to say, um, good and bad. And that is a very scary thing at first. And, and you know, as well as I do, you have the naysayers, you have the guys and, and girls that wake up on the wrong side of the bed every day. And they're, you know, unfortunately not everybody likes to see people be successful. And I appreciate the, uh, the quality bad comments um i take those and i try to uh, dissect them and improve something um that somebody said maybe that they didn't like or would change this or whatever so i I don't ignore them but 
you know, obviously the Facebook and social stuff can also just turn into a drama, drama fest. And, and that's the part that I don't get involved in. Hey, Rock at all. <laughs> Does this ring a bell at all? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, Sounds like this... the conversation you and I had all the way from Denver to your house. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I mean, this is, you know, this is the uh, uh, conversation and uh, the relevancy of it is literally like in every industry. It's in the bass fishing industry. It's in the waterfowl industry. It's in the whitetail industry. It's in the duck calling, call making industry. It's every facet of business right now. It's the same story because I think a you know, social media it still hasn't really settled into its its firm, you know, totally well understood niche. And B, the generation, you know, the new generations. There's there's you know differences in what they grew up with versus what we see and understand and saw before social media popped up. And we've had to learn to adjust to social media where you know, the younger generation has really kind of grew up with it and that's what they know. That's, they, they created it, you know? And, and I think this is a really, really common thread in so many different, Rocky and I were literally talking about this exact thing, not necessarily in, you know, in call making, but across the board, what's going on right now in, in, you know, today's marketing world and how it's being handled, what it looks like, how it creates, you know, the, the narrative and the direction for certain companies. And I often wonder, like what, what you know, what you do, Josh, and what John does with Jay Stevens calls is it takes it, everyone else is going one direction. And while you're using that same platform to distribute your visual effect, it's still you know, it's it's more subtle and it's more, you know, people that do one of a kind work are artists, whether they're jewelers or call makers or painters or whatever it is, clothing makers, whatever it is, there there's a higher premium on those products because there's so much more time and detail and care and emotional, you know, inspiration involved in, in every piece that's made. And and so that's like the antithesis of social media, but you still have social media to use as a platform to help display your goods and what and your your more importantly your message. Because I think your art is more about your message to the people that buy your art than it is about just selling calls. Oh, absolutely, right? absolutely, yeah, and that's what I personally try to accomplish through my Instagram is telling that story um, and, and putting that message out about what you're talking about, about the creative narrative, the emotional, really the emotional attachment that I get to, to every call that goes out um, just because of the time and effort that I spend in every one of them. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's not what like I'm slinging them about. out. <laughs> Very fast, you know, right? And what you were thinking process. about, like like when you stop and you look at your call when it's halfway done, or you've gotten through the, the, the you know the the turn and you're starting to create more design and, 
and you know I don't know how you know you don't cut all your call your tone boards the same way, right? You have different you have different sounds for different calls. How, let me ask you this: I've never asked John this. I've never asked anyone this, other than you know Jimbo when he cuts Olds or when he designed the Mondo and designed his cuts. Those were designed to sound like a duck and and hit frequencies that birds understand versus you know mainstream or whatever it is do you ever when you design a call do you know do you know what you want it to sound like before you know what it, you want it to look like or do you know what you want it to look like the barrel part of it you know you, what you want it to look like and then do you design the sound based around what it looks like or how does that work uh, so the um as far as the aesthetics of it my, mm -hmm. i don't use any stickers i don't laser engrave on calls that's just the traditional purist in me um and mm -hmm. so i've i've somehow built this brand on a shape so when you see a Razio call most of the guys that are you know in the duck call world and collect and use these like they know it's a, a Razio call because of my shape now do they vary absolutely everyone is going to vary in you know, millimeters i mean to the naked eye the guy that doesn't look at them all the time he would i could put 10 calls up and he'd go oh they look pretty close to the same i can see little variances in each one and that was simply just so they would be recognized since i don't laser engrave or use stickers um you know i do do i, I do different designs like the filson the, uh, the calls that i do for filson i make those different i did one batch my standard shape but i make those different just so you know, it was for filson it's, it's a totally different deal wanted a different shape and a different look specifically for them um and as, but as far as sound goes um and to the aesthetic part i use so many types of wood that i, I just i posted three coca-cola calls this morning all all came from the exact same block of wood and not that none of them look even close to to the same as far as like the figure and the color. It's the dangest thing you've ever seen. A nine inch piece of wood, and I have three calls that are totally different. So, and so that's the fun part about it. That keeps it so interesting for me. As far as the sound goes, I know what it's. I pretty much know what it's going to sound like before I cut it, uh, because I developed my own jig and. You know, that took months and months and screwing up a lot. Uh, but once I finally got that tone board that I wanted that produced the tone that my ear liked, that ducks like, it, I had a, a jig made off that, and that's what I cut off every time. Now, there's not a whole lot measured. They're still hand done. They vary a little bit. But, uh, you know, if one, if, if I bore one a millimeter too long, I had, there's a ratio there with the read length and, it's just knowing all those dynamics of, of the tone board to get it to sound right. Uh, the, really, the only variation in sound is if a guy says, man, I want a really quiet call. Well, I know exactly how to make a really quiet call. If he says, I want a really loud, aggressive call, I do know how to, how to do that as well. So you know, it's just part of that learning experience and, and really the reason I did it from scratch, you know, with a flat jig, not modifying or, using a public jig or taking somebody else's and tweaking it. Like I started from scratch. So I was forced to learn all those dynamics. So when somebody did come, when Jake comes or Rocky comes and says, 
man, I hunt this. I just want soft and quiet. Well, now I know how to do that. Um, and I, you know, and hopefully that also the goal of that was to be respected by the older call makers in the way I went about developing that sound and that tone. Uh, so that played a big factor in it too. Is that, is that because, is that, uh, is that because you sustain a certain style or they just appreciate that you're doing it the old, the old way, the traditional way, the purest way? I think it's both. All the above. I think it's both. I've got, you know, validation from sound through obviously hunters that are killing ducks with them. But also you can look at the contest scene and the, you know, the meat calling contest. Cause I don't build a main street Stuttgart low in the world mm -hmm. call. That's not my thing. I might one day, but it's not my thing right now. So, but you know, when you, when you put it, uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, I call ducks, not judges. Well, yeah, I get that, whatever. Um, but that contest world is super fun to do in the off season. And you're being judged by world champions typically that know what a duck sounds like and knows if that call will call a duck or not. And I've been very fortunate to, you know, my calls have won this contest and placed in a bunch. So I kind of got that sound validation from that also. Uh, but it's just like, I've told people this, Jake, like your favorite song is probably not my favorite song. And why is that? And I'm talking about from a music standpoint, like your ear likes a certain something a tone and, and music or whatever and everything it's the same way in a duck call some guys like what i would call a little thinner sound some guys like a really deep you know growl bah! you know it's like real barky sound you know and so a lot of it's personal preference and those questions get asked on the front end typically when we're designing a call so i get it right for that person right. let me, hey let me ask you this i'm gonna go I'm I'm going to go back a few minutes to, to what you said. It kind of, uh, not so much now, but back when you first started posting calls to social media, it gave you a platform to, to start a business, gave you a platform to sell calls, but also opened you up. It, it opens you up to criticism. Oh, yeah. Let's dissect this. Let's just dissect this a little bit. Facebook versus Instagram. Would you say that you get more negative comments on Facebook or Instagram when you make a post? Facebook, by far. Yeah, I knew it. You knew, knew what he's going to say too, right, Jake? Oh, yeah. <laughs> For sure. I don't, I don't really use Facebook. Uh, you know, the, the two, my business page and my Instagram page are linked. So when I post on Instagram, it posts to my Razio call page on Facebook. But right. um, I don't, I, I get on Facebook maybe once a day. Um, you know, I do. I, I don't, like I told you before, Rocky, I don't get involved in the drama and I don't comment if something negative is said uh, that's just drama, uh, not constructive criticism i do get involved in that but just bs talk i don't get involved in that on facebook um this is your instagram it just seems like such a cleaner platform i don't know if that's the right word uh it's more of a portfolio to me it's 
yeah. the engagement is typically, I mean, there are some, you know, there's some negative negativity out there too, but cause you've got so many people involved, but I think, you know, Instagram is a portfolio and Facebook is more of a blog and a written blog and, you know, people get engaged and I think they're used to being able to speak their mind on Facebook too, because, and, and you have more room to make, you know, use more words and comments. And I just think that's the way Facebook came out of the gates. Whereas, you know, Instagram started out as a picture portfolio platform. And I think that's how they've evolved. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head there, Jake. That's exactly right. And typically the, the drama stuff is in these pages. It's not on my page or if Jake has something that's going on, you know, that's negative type criticism is probably not on his page. It's on some photo page. And, you know, for me, it's on one of these, you know, duck call pages where they buy, sell, trade secondhand. Um, things pop up every now and then. And, and I'm just, which is essentially a blog. It's a, it's an interactive blog. And they're grouping you know, pages. I, I, they're kind of like websites and forums. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I, and it's, I, I've certainly faced my fair share of, especially early on, you know, um, now, thankfully I have a customer base that I don't have to say anything. You know, I have some of the greatest customers and most loyal Defending. out there and they, man, yeah. in in a heartbeat. And so that's I've got an analogy. I, I think those group pages are like, it's like walking into a local bar, you know, at night, say you walk in, you're from out of town, you walk into a local, all you want is a hamburger and some fries and a cold beer or something, and you walk in, and when, soon, the moment you walk in, especially small town bars, everyone turns around and looks at you when you walk in the door. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're like, who is that? And if you were to say something, that's the place where everyone knows everybody and they're used to seeing the regulars are there every single night and they're used to having their conversations and they become almost family to each other. And, and as soon as a new guy walks in or a new person walks in and says something, you know, or tries to come in and be a poser amongst a bunch of people that have that have been talking for you know become friends over these, these these blogs or message boards or forums or facebook pages or whatever it is it's very easy for them to gang up on that one person and and stomp it out because they all they're all accustomed to working together does that make sense oh yeah yes absolutely that's the biggest thing for me is you know, I told you before, like I look at this call making call makers as a brotherhood more than a competition. Mm-hmm. You know, sure, I'm I'm extremely competitive. Um, but I also understand and appreciate what goes into making a duck call. Therefore, I appreciate other guys' calls and art. You know, one of my biggest disappointments when I first started and, and started seeing a lot of stuff on, on Facebook was you know, other call makers that didn't know me, that didn't, um, you know, had no clue who I was would, would make, you know, pretty negative comments. And, mm-hmm. you know, guys that I looked up to, honestly, 
when I was coming up and blowing calls and, and competitions and stuff, like I, you know, mm-hmm. really looked up to. And then all of a sudden, I really, you became, you became a call maker, and all of a sudden, they're a totally different person. Um, that was very extremely disappointing. Uh, that's why I love going to these these shows like Real Foot. I'm going to next week. You know, there'll probably be 50 or 100 call makers there, and there'll be some that that have have made some some very negative comments towards me. Uh, publicly they've never met me they've never talked to me on the phone they've never blown one of my calls yet they feel a need to bash another call maker um and, you know and i just don't get it i don't get it uh you know if 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 somebody has an issue uh with me or if i have an issue with somebody that arises i shoot him a private message say here's my phone number let's talk uh and and that that's how i handle that if it's a call maker, typically, you know. I wonder, I, I, you know, I've thought about that too a lot, Josh. And I think, I mean, even as photographers or video producers or, you know, bat, I'm, I'm just coming back from the Angler of the Year tournament in Bassmaster, and I see it there a lot where older, experienced bass, pro bass anglers, they're not very welcoming to the new rookies that come in unless they're just something super special and then you know it's just different but typically a you have to earn your way into a group b rookies always get treated everything every i mean really everything you earn your way into a group you you you're you it's the rookie syndrome it's the freshman syndrome it's the you know it's that new kid in town syndrome that's why i made kind of made that analogy in the in the bar scene but maybe it's you know maybe the rookie the rookie you know the football players or the the baseball players or the basketball players the rookies in the league unless you're like rookie of the year talent you know you're you you get the blocker in the back of the room you get you know you're the you're the you're you have to be the last one to use the shower or whatever it is you don't you don't get you know, all those other people have earned their way into an industry. And I think that's probably where that syndrome comes from. And I'm guilty of it myself. And I've seen both sides, just like you have, where, you know, when I first came into the photography scene, I mean, it was hard. I mean, I cried, you know, because mm-hmm. people didn't accept me and, and didn't, you know, they, they, they bashed me or whatever it was. And I find myself, you know, when people walk in, into my life and they're they're fresh they're good at what they do but they're fresh into the market it's like look kid you know you're not as great as you think you are you're good and you're talented but trust me you've got you know 20 or 30 more years of learning to do and i think we all get caught up in those different phases of growth and different phases of maturity you think you're a hot shot you think you know you you're the greatest thing since duct tape and 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 you're really not and then as you get older you get humbled you you lose opportunities make bad decisions and then one day after you go through all that stuff you look back and go okay i know what they were talking about but then when you're older and you're discussing these things with a younger a new rookie you're the one that's the more experienced person and you're trying to teach someone something because you want them to know better but they don't listen because they're the rookie. You know, it's just this 
it's just yeah. human dynamics, right? It's like a, circle a year and a half old buck and yeah, <laughs> circle of life. A year and a half old buck in a in a bachelor group of of mature bucks. <laughs> yeah, you absolutely have to earn respect in in any any craft or industry, um, you know that you're doing. I think one, and that's some of the things that that you're talking about that brotherhood. You know, like we were talking about call night last week, like you know, part of uh part of the call night was to promote call making, obviously, but also to promote call makers. You know, when call makers were my guests, that was for them to promote their stuff and talk about their stuff. If we had other call makers that were coming but weren't the ones being interviewed, we always introduce them. We always talk about their company, what they got going on. You know, so I always and I and I've taught, you know, I'm I'm no veteran. I haven't been doing this 50 years, but, you know, I get tons of questions from other call makers on how to do stuff. Some that are, you know, that are veterans and I don't mind sharing at all. Uh, I'm very open. Um, I've had, you know, three, three guys actually come to my shop and spend a couple of days and I, for the most, except for the tone board, you know, taught them how to make a duck call. Things that took me years to learn, I can show you in three days and, and improve, you know, speed up your process that much then you just have to put the effort into it you know and so i've tried to <clears throat> i've always tried to be very open uh and humble with with what i do and helping all these guys that, that are new because uh, i remember what it felt like to get treated the way that i did and it sucks you know and there's really just no sense for it you know uh so I've tried to change that narrative through the way that I treat these new call makers, you know, new being like just got them allayed and trying to figure out how to turn it on. I mean, it's, you got to start somewhere. I, I was there. I've been there and I know how bad it was, how tough it was. So it can I be mean, dude, calls. Both of you real quick. Let me ask this question. When, when, when you get negative feedback, just in your opinion, both of you, what percent of it is jealousy driven and what percent of it is constructive criticism? I think negative feedback is driven by jealousy. And I think it's a hundred, to be honest with you, I think it's a hundred percent. I think if you add that, that's if it's, if it's, if it's involuntary or if it's voluntarily given without pro provocation. If you ask someone a question, can you please criticize what give me some some critical feedback on what I'm doing because I look up to you and I appreciate your 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 uh your your outlook on it and your feedback and i I, I can handle it give it to me don't sugarcoat it give it to me when someone speaks up on Facebook and says something negative, I think it's typically, I'll call it 99% or 100%, 100% jealousy driven because if it weren't, why wouldn't they private message you? Why wouldn't they, why would they, why would I walk into, you know, anywhere and, and pull one of my employees in front of everyone and say something critical when I could just tap him on the shoulder, text him and go, Hey, could you meet me, you know, around the corner? I want to talk to you for a second and say it in private. That's respect 
when you when you bring something critical up in front of everyone else, I think that's jealousy driven. Yeah, I was going to say ninety nine percent too. Well, it kind of it kind of goes back exactly two great analogies in a row, Jake. But so let me just speak from personal for just a second. You know, I've heard about uh, the quality of your podcast, man. It's awful. You see people saying that, or you know, the <laughs> the, the the audio quality is different. We do it on a different platform than most because we don't have a studio. We can't get Jake in Colorado to Oxford, Mississippi, or Josh to Oxford to record once a week. It's kind of tough. And then we tried to do it through the, you know, the digital platforms, and you got that every once in a while when the internet slows down. Or, Rocky, you interrupt too much. You're an idiot. You know, I hear that, asking questions. Well, that's the point of me being here. You know, if you say something, I'll let you ramble for 15 minutes. Well, I, it's hard to come back to a question that's that pertinent to what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your job is to keep people on point. You do a really good job at it. That's, you know, uh, very good job. Or then, oh, man, you're just old redneck. Well, that's me. I do have a little bit of... I've got, I'm from Mississippi. I'm going to sound different. Yeah. What did you say? Thanks. Thanks <laughs> for that. Appreciate it. And so like a frog, I hop around on those rocks. Don't really pay attention to them. Really don't. Yeah, that's I, it. You can't. Because, but you man. Let it. So I made the hey, mistake. I, it's pertinent to what Jake just said. Hold on just one second, Jake. Okay. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> Finally, I answered the call to to one of my tribe members that, dude, he's killed me. Killed me. And dumbest thing I ever did. I will admit it on the air. It was stupid yesterday. <laughs> you know, I'm like, dude, why didn't you just private message me this? Why do you got to air something out? <laughs> In, a, in the public, in front of everybody. You know? So, anyway. That's why they're called Usually. trollers. You know, they're trolling. They're trolling for someone to respond. And I don't, sometimes I don't even think that they realize what they're doing, but I think, the, and, and you, you look in your inside yourself and you understand, okay, I, I've done that before. I've provoked, provoked negativity through question knowing what my agenda was and that was to get under someone's skin because you were jealous or you whatever it was i mean the only way you can identify jealousy is if you know you've been there yourself right we're all guilty of it and oh, yeah. and that's how you get out of it because you look in a mirror and stuff man that's not what golly you know this is this is not who i really am and or if it is it's not who i really want to be but yeah you know I it's think, not who i want to portray think, at all exactly Exactly. At the end of the day, I, one time. Go ahead, go ahead, Josh. I was gonna say, like at the end of the day, for me, I don't have the energy or the time to to put into a conversation like that. You know, I'm focused on making duck calls, running a business. Um, it's it's just 
it's a pure pure waste for me to get involved or, or for you or, or Rocky in the same situation. Like, you know, I, I've got other very, very important stuff to do than to get into into a bunch of drama that it's not gonna if somebody makes a statement like that, it's not gonna end, it's not gonna end well on Facebook. You know, no, it can end in a private message and it can end on a phone call. But once you put yeah. twenty thousand people involved in that conversation, it's it does it just it never ends. You know, finally somebody what, what, will find like another post that'll end it. But I just don't have the energy to to deal with that. Um, but, I got to tell you, all right, let me let me ask you: if you go into it though, put in the time to say, "Man, I'm look, I'm sorry. I don't know what I've you know that I messed our." relationship whether it's business personal whatever it may be sorry i messed it up but it just continues on after that just every corner you turn around because i never i'm like y'all i just avoid it i hate drama hate drama yeah when one time i used to have a i used to own a business on lake mcconaughey and this is out in western nebraska and it's outdoor driven it's a convenience store in an rv park but i had a guide service and i had weather reports and fishing reports and hunting reports on the platte river this is a long time ago and before i mean it was the primitive you know social media which was talk forms or message boards right so i had a message board and i was posting a picture that had been featured, a video that had been featured on uh, the Wild Outdoors, a bow hunt that I, me and my, my wife went on. And I shot a deer, a nice buck, standing in ankle-deep water in the Platte River on a sandbar, which is 100% legal. Nothing, not one thing illegal about it. I didn't chase, I didn't chase a deer down with a boat and shoot him while he was swimming. I mean, it was totally fair chase. I was in a ground blind. Everything about it was real, okay? Shot with my bow. And this kid from Alabama gets on my message board and just starts hammering me after the show aired for shooting this deer in the water because it's that's illegal in Alabama. Like, the deer can't be standing in any kind of – it can't be standing in two inches of water in a dried creek bed if if it if it if it is it's illegal apparently I, I didn't know that law but apparently it is and so he went on I said look man it, it, I'm not in Alabama I'm, I'm in Nebraska and it's 100 percent legal and then he shifted that 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 narrative to well it's unethical then if it's legal it should be illegal because it's unethical that's why the law is the way it is in Alabama and all this stuff so this is all public he totally was trying to to bring me down publicly on my message board and so i finally i responded to him in public and i said look I, let's let's say his name was david i said david i'm really sorry that you feel the way you do about it and and i'm going to make this up to you and i'm going to invite you on a hunt out to out to nebraska and i'm going to put you on the biggest deer of your life and i'm going to let you hunt that same exact ground blind um and and when it's going to happen this fall and man he he was like oh my god you would do that for me you're going to invite me out to nebraska and you're going to let me hunt that exact same ground blind and my next response was well 
the last response you were bashing me for it but now because i've invited you to come hunt a big deer you'd be willing to come do the same exact thing that i just did now what what's i never heard from that guy again you know he was bashing me because he he was jealous but when i invited him to come do it he was willing to come do the same exact thing and man that was a lesson for me on social media and how what people's narratives really are when negativity comes up and when they ask provocative questions they're just teeing you up for, for a you know for a freaking they're they're just teeing you up for a bashing is what they're trying to do yeah oh i agree they're looking for the group one of the things looking for a group to come and jump and pile on the bar analogy that's right it only takes one. That's right. One guy gets a gets a ball rolling. That's right. And here's the thing: you can't stop it. It's never gonna no. end. There's just a group of people yeah. out there whose thought process is that for whatever reason, you know. And you just gotta, and you just let it roll off back like water. What What's the biggest thing? What is the biggest? What's the most common criticism that you hear? around around your call making because i want to get back into your call making josh because i I want to talk about the sophistication behind your simplicity and your call design because i think that's important you don't yours isn't over you don't really i mean your style your shapes are very distinguishable but it's the way the simplicity behind them is what makes them so beautiful and your choice of of material that you use and how you you know the sleekness like there was one i think you did last time the time we talked on the phone i went and looked through your instagram page and you had one i believe you made for tiffany and company that was like baby blue and i thought oh man that is freaking beautiful (laughs) i mean like wow now that's where you see the art and while the simplicity, the sophistication of the simplicity stands out to me. It still tells me a lot about you and who you are opposed to, you know, something really busy and it's overkill and, you know, you just got way too much going on in your car. And I think there's a place for that stuff, but yours, yours is very simple. So what, what do you, what do you get criticized about the most? Oh man, that's, that's easy. Uh, price. From oh. day one, <laughs> <laughs> not what you were expecting. <laughs> I no, but I should have guessed that. I, I didn't even. I, I was thinking more. I, I don't even know. I don't know. I thought, call I, thought I was going to hear learn something new. Yeah. <laughs> well, it might be new. So here's the deal, and I just I want to tackle this because it comes up a lot. So when I first started, and I figured out what all it took to actually make a duck call, um, and then to get to the point where it was a what I felt like a quality duck call from an aesthetic and a sounds, you know, standpoint. I started looking at the time it took to do it. Um, I started looking at pricing of the most expensive CNC call on the market. At the time was around 150 bucks, I think 175 bucks. Um, And so I thought, all right, you know, that's a, Sure, that machine is really expensive. I get that. Uh, you got to hire somebody to run it and, you know, mass produce these calls. But at the end of the day, it's a very fast process to make that call in a CNC machine. 
I'm not bashing it. There's definitely way, a place for way it. Less waste, right. Way less, way less waste. Right. Way less waste. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so when I looked at that and the time that it took to turn one in a CNC and the price of that call, I thought, okay, well, there's no way in hell that I can, that I'm willing to sell a call that I hand make that takes, you know, 40 times as long to make for cheaper than that most expensive call, CNC call. And so that was the start of it, you know, and, and I started in that, in that $200 range, I guess, um, you know, and, and people about had a stroke. Well, some did. On the other hand, my order books were filling up as fast as I could write them down. And so then you also factor in, I had a full-time job and what, what would it take for me? What did it take for me monetarily to get home from that job and go out in that shop, be away from my kids, away from my wife, away from my family, miss some things that I probably shouldn't have been missing my kids growing up, you know, uh, some of those nights to go out there and make duck calls. And I had to put a price on that. And for me, uh, you know, it, it was compared to the other, to the market, it was just higher and it was just how I felt about it. Um, you know, I had some really good things happen with the calls through contests and, and different magazines and different things happen that I kind of felt like I had some validation for that pricing at that time. And, and then as the orders kept going in, I couldn't keep up and wood kept going up and I was, you know, got in a shop, you know, then obviously, you know, they, they, the price increased too. And, you know, now I still, I still can't take all the orders um, that, that people try to give me. And that sucks because it's just a slow process, but you know, it, it tells me that my pricing is okay. Is it for everybody? Absolutely not. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of guys that, that want to, and, 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 and can go to Walmart and grab a call and go kill a bunch of ducks with it. Nothing wrong with that. What I do is just different. And I had to take that in consideration when I started pricing it. And, and especially when I started putting food on the table with, with my craft, um, you, you got to put a time on your, or value on your time. And I did it. And I think that a lot of guys or other call makers are, are hesitant to do it, to ask the price that they really are worth. Um, some of it is most of them are, are hobby guys and, and it's side money. They don't really care, but, uh, you know, I, I took, I took some criticism for that. A lot of it. And, and still when something comes up, it's, it's all, well, is it, is it worth the money? Well, you know, I, I hope it is. It is if you want sure. it, if you want it really, if you want it for yeah. the right reasons, it is. Yeah, you know, I think people yeah. people know the people that what you've done is you've you've isolated and there you know there's business rules behind that don't sell yourself short because you cheapen your brand or you cheapen your art or you cheapen your your products because you're trying to compete in in the mainstream whereas you know sometimes when you put a, a high price the true value on your product. The people that you want to buy your calls buy your calls, and I think that's probably what that's probably what you experience. Is that not right? I would I would totally agree. I mean, it's it's you know the pricing has not been a, a, a 
a hindrance. I, I mean, I've had full order books for six years and, you know, hope it continues. Um, certainly. But yeah, I, I, it's not been a, for me, if I was buying something, I personally like handmade. Uh, you know, I've ordered a pair of uh, spurs before and they were really expensive. Um, but they were handmade and I could have gone to a, you know, Western store, bought a cheap pair, but I, you know, I saved my money. And I tell you, I appreciate something that I have to save for maybe and, and kind of have on my list of I'm going to get that one day than I do going and buying something cheap. Mm -hmm. I think that's most people. Yep, I agree. I think uh, I'm the same way. I'm willing to pay. I'm willing to pay for quality, but I'm willing to pay even more for originality. If I can oh, find something yeah. that no one else has, I'll 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 spend my last dollar unless it takes food up my you know table for my children or my wife. But I'll spend my last dollar on something that's original. That's great I'm point. The same way, Jake. And my shop is full of things like that because I can't resist buying some of those things sometimes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. When I travel, that's what I do. I have, I have. Uh, I was gonna. I was, and, and this is a point that I'm gonna make that's relative and sort of parallel to your situation, what you're talking about, Josh. Someone asked me one time. How much I had some prints for sale of some argali. Very, it's a rare wild sheep species that lives in Mongolia, and I happened to, you know, I was I did a, a film trip there, and I got close to some of these big, huge, huge rams. They're the largest wild sheep on the planet, and I took some photos. No one else on the planet has any of the photos like they probably do now, but back then they didn't because no one had done that before right and so i i had printed some out on canvas some big some larger prints on canvas and i put an ad out on facebook um you know to try to sell a few to see what i could get because I, I i donated some to the wild sheep foundation and they they sold them and they did pretty well and i was like hmm, well maybe i should do that because they're rare so i put them out biggest mistake was i put them out on facebook <laughs> That's not that's not the place really to at least at the time it wasn't the place to sell, you know, original rare art. And I put it yeah. out there and someone you know, I immediately got responses, Oh yeah, I definitely want to buy one. How much is that? Well it's it's a thousand bucks and they're like, What? Like criticism came out of the woodworks and then all of a sudden people were posting about it and i just i just just dissolved it dissolved my post and just let it go away because i was like wow these people are vicious but at the end of the day i'm sitting there thinking wait a minute do you know how much it cost a to get me to mongolia the equipment that i used to shoot it with and just the location that i went to to get these photos and i'm not bragging i'm just saying and there's you you need to think about what's behind this the you know these products that are expensive and and how it came about before you go criticizing just the price because it's not like you know you were price gouging you were trying to find the right fit the right market and the right price point for your calls 
because you put a lot of thought and time and effort and emotional energy into what you were doing. And, you know, people that understand that are going to pay for it and people that don't are going to bash it. Sure. What were you, um, your original question about c- criticism, what were you, I think I surprised you with the pricing answer. What were, what, what were you, what were you thinking? I didn't know. I thought I honestly thought I was about to learn learn something new about people. <laughs> because oh, I man. thought maybe it was something maybe maybe you know in art I think one of the the biggest the, one of the, the 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 thinnest sheets of ice in art is is plagiarism <clears throat> where oh. there's a difference between inspiration and plagiarism. And I think man. to me that's in, in productive art, in in commercial art, that's where that fine line, because Lee and I talk about this all the time, like, okay, there's people that are inspired by certain artists, that doesn't mean you should go out and go copy what they're doing and take and try to, you know, make money off of that idea. That's plagiarism, inspiration, and like, you know, one of the most interesting pieces, this is going to surprise you. I watched a documentary about the guy, the designer, the, the 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 designer that worked with Michael Jordan that came out with the Air Jordans, and I believe there were eleven versions of the Air Jordans, like the 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 top of the line Air Jordans, the custom shoes, <clears throat> and 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 in this documentary, he was explaining how every single piece outside of the grommets or the shoelaces or whatever, every single little design, cut, seam, excuse me, everything has a story behind it that Michael Jordan told, either about his career, his family, some bad things that happened, some good things that happened, or, you know, a pivotal point in his life or whatever it was. Every single design and every version of the of the Nike Air Jordan that came out was inspired by something that happened to Michael Jordan. And I thought, dude, this is art. This guy's making shoes, but this is art. No wonder they cost at, at even at that time. No wonder they cost two hundred bucks because oh, yeah. there's so much more to these shoes than meets the eye. And if I go out and buy me a pair of those shoes, they're going in my gun safe. You know, these are collector's items. They're not, they're not, I'm not going to go play basketball. And if I do, I'm going to buy two pairs. So I have one that are in mint condition, you know? And so, I mean, those are the kinds of things to me that, that, you know, the, the general public don't, they don't think about that stuff probably. And I really don't mean this in a critical way to anyone. I mean, it just in, in the, the absolute truth they've probably never done anything like that to where they do understand it. Yeah. Well, it's our job to put out the narrative so they do understand it. And some never will. Very true. But Mm -hmm. I feel a responsibility to tell you my story through what I do and through my platforms. So you do go, Oh, you know, yeah, the guy messaged me and and he was, uh, yeah, what's the price range of your calls? And I tell him and, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, whatever. Well, then we talk for just a little while, and I say, you know, just just look look through the Instagram page and just you read some captions and just kind of you'll get a really good feel for for you know who I am and what I do. And then I get the next DM, they're like, man, I'll take two. 
you know, and, and so it's, a it's, it's our responsibility as the artist or the creator or the photographer to tell why is your product worth what it's worth? And, um, so that's always a, a I love that part and I love the platforms we have to be able to do that. I just like to do it in a very specific way, which always keeps the wheels turning, always trying to come up with new ideas and, and just create that brand of that way when somebody new, you know, a new customer does come along, it doesn't take him very long to go, ah, now I get it. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, I, you know, if I were to pick one person to compare or, or to place into your into your style and your and your you know your mentality and your philosophy and, and your all, all that stuff and combine it into what you do into your art, if I were to pick one person out of all the genres in the outdoor world that would appreciate what you do. Uh, the first person that comes to my mind would be Flip Pallet. You know who that yep. is? I've met Flip from a couple Walker of times. K. Okay. Yeah. I think I think I think that's a that like you're you might have you might be the you know your your philosophy and your direction and your call making is sort of the Flip Pallet way. Is that do you yeah. would you agree with that? I would. That's a hell of a compliment because he is. I can tell you. Flip didn't go chasing Yeti or some of his other, you know, mm-hmm. big time things mm-hmm. that he's done. They came to him mm-hmm. because of his, mm-hmm. what you just said, philosophies, just the kind of guy he is um, every day. He's the same person, whether he's at a show or at his house or in the boat. I mean, he mm-hmm. is top notch. Um, That's what everybody that loves about him. Hell of a compliment. Jake, thank you, thank you. Well, he is uh, well, top notch. Well, guys, we are just about out of time. It's a great podcast to to be here and be with you guys to be a part of the discussion, but also to sit back and listen as you guys talk. Oh, it's been fun. I love it. I love it. Thank you for having. Thank you, Rocky. Rocky. Yeah. Oh man, it's been a great time. Josh, I know you've got a meeting you've got to get to. Jake, you're just getting home. You probably want to rest a few minutes before kids get home from school. Guys, thank you again. We want to thank all of you that listened to this edition of the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DuckTouse.com. <laughs>